Have you ever wondered why anyone drinks Malort? Or if there are actually lobsters in the Chicago River? Then listen to the Curious City podcast, where we answer all your questions about Chicago and the region. WBEZ's Curious City is part of the NPR network and available wherever you find your podcasts. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. It's hard to believe we are in year three of the coronavirus pandemic. There's still so much we don't know about COVID-19, and it's easy to panic when news of yet another variant breaks. In times like these, experts say we must keep calm and be transparent about what is known and what remains unknown. All of the information can be overwhelming and can at times seem contradictory. It can be exhausting. So what do we do? Dr. Rachel Rubin co-leads the Cook County Department of Public Health, and she has more than enough on her plate, especially since Omicron was discovered in suburban Cook County just this morning. It's concerning, but we knew it was coming, especially when our neighbor in the city of Chicago um, has already had a positive case reported. So we knew Omicron was coming to our community. So having one case isn't concerning, but Omicron itself is obviously concerning because from what we know and looking at how it is behaving worldwide is that it is very easily transmitted and seems to spread. In other words, it spreads very quickly. So So this will overtake the surge of Delta, which we're seeing now. Right now, we're really in a, in a Delta surge. The good thing about Omicron is that preliminary reports seem to show that Omicron does not cause as serious uh, COVID disease as Delta, especially if you've been vaccinated with a booster. What happens when, when scientists discover a new variant of concern? How, how is that information communicated to local health officials and then eventually to the public? Actually, local health officials, for example, Omicron, the way we found out about it was the way everybody else did, is that when it was announced in the press, um, coming out from a report from the CDC, we're actually coming out of South Africa. There is a publicly available database where all genome sequencing of new viruses are put into this database. So for people that might be monitoring that, and and it's uh, it's hard to look at. It's sort of a lot of... Uh, numbers and columns there is that you can see that something new is emerging, but generally we have to wait for an official announcement by a government, and then we find out about it pretty much like everybody else. Once it is announced that there is a new variant, for example, whether it comes out from the CDC, a foreign country, or wherever it comes out to the CDC through the federal government, then we will get very quickly uh, guidance coming out from our state health department. Um, And so then we will get more specific details if there are any. And certainly we then start discussions with local health departments um, under the state purview. Mm -hmm. And then we discussions about approaches to it. So how does that work if you're getting the information at the same time the public is in a lot of cases when, you know, they're watching press conferences or, or listening to them on the radio? If you later have to communicate messaging how does that not end up with, with some sort of mixed messaging? I, I imagine you having cases where you have to sort of walk things back that have already been put out there. I imagine it complicating your job a bit. Yes, it can complicate our job because we don't get sort of pre-warning of a change. Um, and we may have put out some new guidance and then we have to back off on that because we now have new information. However, right. This pandemic, especially, I mean, it's the first pandemic um, of my lifetime, but certainly been through other epidemics 
these things are very fast moving. So we know that we may have to be changing our messaging on a dime. So from day to day or week to week, we may have to be changing what we are informing uh, the public. And that can make our job harder because it certainly can appear confusing to the public that they get one message on Monday and then it's changed on Tuesday. However, it's not that the messaging has changed completely. In fact, the guidance related to Omicron is not significantly different than what we've been saying under Delta, which is please, please keep your masks on indoors in all public places. And at least the state of Illinois has had that as a state mandate, and we also have had it as a Cook County Department of Public Health mandate as well for several months now, while other parts of the country are doing things differently. And to me, that's almost what's confusing. is not so much that we have to change our messages based on new information, but that different states and different jurisdictions are doing different things. And I wish there were a more unified approach. Mm-hmm. Are you ever worried about over-communicating to the public when it comes to new developments? Oh, sure, because there's, you know, information overload. And that overload happens not only because we keep sending out new information, but it's because now people get their news sources from different methods. Some right. do it only from social media. Others watch, still watch the news on TV, which I do every evening at 10 o'clock. Other people get it from uh, email or from surfing the web. Um, and so there are all of these different information sources that people are using. And I could imagine that it's an enormous amount of overload. You just sort of want to shut everything off and not hear anything, but then you might miss important information. Can you understand then why there's so much COVID fatigue? Oh, absolutely. I mean, even those of us in the trenches talk about COVID fatigue. I mean, COVID fatigue in the sense of just feeling sort of overwhelmed by it all and wanting to shut it away. But there's also the aspects of COVID fatigue that hopefully public health officials and and professionals and medical professionals still abide by, and hopefully the public, is the mitigation that's been put in place. And that's hard. It's hard for people to keep their masks on. It's hard for people to remember to wash their hands all the time, to maintain that physical distancing, to not go to restaurants with uh, a large group of friends where maybe only half are vaccinated. It's very hard to avoid doing those things. So that fatigue is there, and I don't really know how to uh, combat that fatigue. I think the point is is that we're going to get fatigued, but we still have to push through. And then there are a variety of things, I think, that can be done to make you feel a little bit better. You know, people have been feeling very isolated. Um, And unfortunately, in Chicago, it's getting cold. In other parts of the country, you can still be with people outside. But, like, today is a nicer day, though it is overcast, so at least take a walk with a friend. That's safe to do. So try to do those little things that will break up the monotony or make you feel more connected to people. You mentioned a moment ago that people are getting their information in different ways. What would you say are some of the best ways to reach people when it comes to COVID updates? Is it still through social media? Is it community outreach? What's best? I think it's all of that, certainly by by media, social media, and especially social media where messages are being put out by what we call sort of like, you know, trusted individuals in that community. And we do know that people trust local community leaders possibly or their minister or priest or rabbi or iman. Um, they might trust 
neighbors and friends. And that's the thing, too, is for those of us that have gotten vaccinated and I and boosted and support that is to talk to our neighbors and friends about it and say, please, please do this. You know, I want to celebrate Christmas with you, but I won't do it unless I know that you've been vaccinated. And so we know that a lot of word of mouth or trusted messengers within your own family also go a long way. Your own personal physician who is recommending it or provider um, we know also goes a long way. So to put to to try to get those folks, you know, including myself, you know, to be able to do that on a more personal level even. What would you say are some of the most common questions that you still get about this virus or about the vaccine? Yeah, it's interesting. You're still seeing the lowest vaccination uptake amongst younger individuals, say 40, 45 and younger, especially those in their 30s and 20s. And there are still these questions about fertility. And um, there's no vaccination that I know of that affects fertility. And neither do the vaccines for COVID. They don't affect fertility. But that's one concern. You know, that I can certainly understand why young folks who wanted to start families would have that concern. But I think that, you know, we've been trying to answer that question and that there is no evidence that this vaccine or any other causes problems with fertility. So I think people should feel reassured about that. Um, Other myths that we hear are, I'm going to get COVID by the vaccine. It's the way people think that when they get a flu shot, they're going to get the flu after a flu shot. We hear that too. Right. And we have to explain that there's no injecting of a virus into you, even like a dead or a what we call an attenuated virus. It, that isn't how it works. We are putting a, into your system something that then stimulates your own and doesn't even stay in your system, a little protein doesn't even stay in your system but it stimulates your own body to build up those immune cells to ward off an infection if you're exposed to it. So it in no way gives you. And people are saying, well, but it's going to make me sick. Yes, these vaccines um, can make you feel under the weather for a couple of days. And that's something that we need to warn people about, but it shouldn't be something that says, that stops people from getting the vaccine. People are very afraid of side effects from the vaccine. So how's the county dealing with COVID misinformation? We're trying to push out information in many different ways. One is obviously our website, where we have a whole list of frequently asked questions that try to address some of the things you just asked me about. We are working with a whole group of community-based organizations where one of their main roles is to do community education on COVID and through written materials, through having local town halls and meetings, talking to the organization's uh, members and communities. So having trusted messengers within their own communities talking to these communities. So that's on a very, what we call our hyper-local approach. And we're setting up hyper-local vaccination events in communities that are hardest hit by COVID and also are the least vaccinated. And to have the locations for these in trusted institutions, uh, whether it's a church uh, reception area, or we just did a great event last week with Lincoln Sons in one of their respite areas. You know, they're a funeral home family chain. And uh, lots of folks came out um, because it's a, a trusted member and leader of their community and it's their facilities. So to do that kind of thing. Yeah. 
Where do we stand right now in the county on case numbers? And, and are you worried about a, a holiday Omicron surge, potentially? Uh, potentially. If not Christmas, maybe soon thereafter, unfortunately. I am worried about an Omicron surge. And I'm looking at our numbers right now. We have 323,000 confirmed cases since the beginning of the pandemic. As of today, and over 5,000 deaths. Hmm. Yeah, we're considered in high community transmission. Yes. You mentioned that that 300,000 number was uh, of cases was was from the beginning. When you think back to the early days, Dr. Rubin, what are some of the biggest lessons you would say that you've learned? Um, <laughs> never think it's over until it's over. One of the biggest lessons is that... Um, that this is sort of an unpredictable situation almost from day to day and that we're better prepared now if and when the next one comes on because we've built up those structures within the health department to be able to respond. And certainly a lesson is is that this pandemic has brought into stark relief over the last two years about how underfunded and undersupported public health has been over the last several decades. And now there's more money being put into from federal grants, et cetera, to build up public health infrastructures on a national, state, and local level. And it's desperately needed, but it also has to be maintained. So we build up our workforces, we build up our preparedness, we build up our our infrastructures, but it can't be on a two-year grant and then the money is gone and, and structures and systems we've tried to put in place we cannot maintain. Um, Public health is, you know, tremendously important nationally, and it has been under-recognized for a very long time. But you're encouraged by some of that movement forward. I am. I am. I am. Any advice before I let you go, Doctor, on on what folks can do to stay safe this holiday season? Sure. The things that we've been saying all along, which are mask indoors, especially in public places, and I would even suggest in private homes if you're gathering with a lot of folks, especially those who are not part of your own household, try to respect your distance if possible, wash your hands a lot. And the one thing that we haven't talked about as much is testing, and now there are these home test kits. Or you can go into a local pharmacy. If you're going to a family event or a holiday event, Get yourself tested with it, one of these home kits or ones that you get in a pharmacy or a healthcare facility, and test yourself about three days before that event and test yourself the night before or the morning of that event, that gathering. And if you test positive, go ahead and get that confirmed with a PCR test and please stay away. And if you're not vaccinated, stay away, celebrate virtually. That's Dr. Rachel Rubin, co-lead of the Cook County Department of Public Health. Doctor, thank you so much. Well, that's it for today's Reset. Keeping the news straight on COVID-19 can be a challenge. But take heart. We're here to help. Stay informed by subscribing to this podcast. And please give us a rating. It helps listeners find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. And we'll meet again tomorrow.
Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts.